Welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spew our opinions into your hearing holes. What we lack in education, we make up for with rants, raves, and rambles. And I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty. I'm here today with my lovely friend, makeup artist and movie enthusiast, Los Angeles-based mischievous vixen, Paige Fetter. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Paige. Thanks for having me. Paige has chosen an excellent movie for today's episode. But before we get into that, first, I want to get a little background about Paige. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Yeah, please. Starting with, what was the first movie you ever saw in movie theaters? This is a question that I know that I don't know the answer to. And I know I've tried to ask my parents it. A couple times and they're like I don't know who cares (laughs) (laughs) but some of my like early memories of seeing movies in theaters like I remember being a kid in elementary school and my cool aunt called me out of school like early and we went to like the gas station and bought like a bunch of candy and then like snuck it into chicken run (laughs) amazing yeah every movie I like have memories of seeing as a kid I remember having been like familiar with going to the movies so I don't know when I started or whatever but I I just have lots of fun memories of them as a kid that's perfect because ultimately it doesn't have to be the first movie you saw but the first movie you like remember and have a memorable experience about so that's perfect yeah I mean it would be cool for my mythos to be like my parents took me to insert whatever movie was cool when I was a kid you know like a baby and they were like that's so sick but my parents definitely didn't do that (laughs) sounds like they're not super into movies my mom definitely is not she like never watched tv or movies when I was growing up and stuff but like my dad does like movies but I don't think my dad like loves going to a movie theater Hmm. maybe he did like more when I was little but like my parents just saw like having kids as a little bit of like a hassle to try to like wrangle us to go anywhere which to be fair (laughs) makes sense because we were really disruptive children um (laughs) I watched a lot of things either on cable or at home with my dad up until I moved across the country my dad and I regularly would like sit down and watch like a tv show or movies together or um my dad watches a lot of sports (laughs) So it sounds like that's been a way that you guys have kind of bonded. Yeah, definitely. What about you in terms of like, what's your favorite way to watch a movie? Do you prefer the theater or at home? Do you prefer the drive-in? I've never been to a drive-in. There were a couple in the Twin Cities area, but they were like outside of the actual Twin Cities and it required like having a car to go to one. It wasn't like something my parents like were really interested in doing as kids or like we just never got it together enough to like choose something that we all wanted to see at a drive-in and then like as a teen I did not have my own car and my friends who were going to drive-ins were doing it like to hook up on dates so (laughs) they were not taking me thank god (laughs) but I have been to plenty of movie theaters and that's kind of my favorite way to watch a movie. I even worked at like I think like the Arclight in LA used to do and like what AMC sort of does now. I worked for like a small theater company where I worked up in the restaurant for like four years so I never actually did any like movie theater work. I was like hosting and waitressing in this restaurant that was inside of the movie theater so I got to see like movies all the time by myself. Oh hell yeah what a good deal. Yeah. I worked there for like three and a half years because I think if I like I got to the point where I was like if I work here a fourth year I'm gonna kill myself (laughs) um the the restaurant was like a very dysfunctional small family and I was Mm -hmm. like I actually don't need to do this for the rest of my life I think there's like a three and a half year run where like I think I saw every movie in theaters whether or not like I actually wanted to see them or not I just love a good movie theater experience and I don't care if it's me and like three elderly people with nothing to do early in the morning watching a movie um yeah I mean sometimes the best way to do it is like when you're watching Stoker for the third time in theaters and somebody is taking a nap four rows away from you (laughs) there is something just like beautiful and communal about going to a movie theater that is like a big experience having your snacks and like I'll do this alone too just because I'm very outgoing and friendly I'm also (laughs) extremely good at just being alone (laughs) 
Yeah. Or like, I don't know. I, I have no fear of being alone. So like, I'll also go to like a packed out huge movie. Cause I couldn't get like any friends to rally to see a movie like opening night. And I will like sit in between like two dates or like two <laughs> big groups ready to see something. There's just something almost, I guess like spiritual maybe about like seeing a huge movie like with a bunch of people who are like cheering screaming laughing together is like really beautiful to me it's like an interesting thing where you're all having the same emotions about something even though these are people you don't even know but you're just like sharing these feelings together yeah it's definitely there's something powerful about it to me and I have never felt that way watching sports sorry to sports people (laughs) have never connected to any religious like thing ever no matter how many times I've been like dragged to like any kind of like organized worship I don't feel any of that in me but like I think the time I do feel like the most connected to a communal experience is like when we're watching a fictitious movie together and all buying in (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so you you worship at the church of film (laughs) okay that sounds like now I'm feeling uncomfortable because that sounds a little too religious and like weird (laughs) for me and I'm like no no as a staunch lifelong atheist (laughs) not that but yes (laughs) (laughs) no but yes (laughs) yeah yeah I hear you what was the first memorable moment you have watching a movie in the theaters without any parents or supervising adults? I had a real helicopter mom of a parent. Mm. And so I know like at a certain point I had a neighborhood female friend who lived like a couple houses down from me. We were good friends growing up kind of in a complicated friendship I guess at a certain point like our parents like they started dropping us off the movie theaters to see movies by ourselves just the two of us and I was like the worst pretentious full of internalized misogyny um kid (laughs) at the time very embarrassing and she was like this hilarious bossy like always had to get her way but very girly girl, an interesting mix. So like, I always wanted to see like something sci-fi or like something action or horror or whatever. And she did not want to see anything that I wanted to see. And so we always ended up going and seeing rom-coms. And so like one of the, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just like hilarious. And it was like, not at a time when good rom-coms were coming out either. It was like Mm -hmm. at the like gasping death of like the rom-com era and the one I remember seeing with her we saw the movie In Her Shoes oh I've never heard of that it is a very adult film and I mean that because it's about two adult sisters I think like they have like bad parents or whatever but they have like a really strained relationship and so it's like drab downy sister who's like very career focused or whatever and then it's like Cameron Diaz as her like can't get her act together alcoholic slutty sister and so like the movie (laughs) starts with Cameron Diaz sleeping with like her sister's um fiance and breaking up that marriage damn (laughs) yeah and then like I don't even remember like there's just so much that like happens that like for two 13 year old girls was not gonna hook us yeah into like this is a great film it's an intense movie for yeah and then I remember is the sister Tony Collette I remember her sister just being like, you know, like, it's fun and exciting when you're like 20. And now we're like, I don't know, like how old they're supposed to be. And she's like, and it's just sad and desperate. <laughs> and it's called like in her shoes because the other sister is supposed to be fat. And she, oh my not God, at all. No, so I saw the like, poster. They're both super skinny. Yeah. But it was also like at that era where if you weren't like a size double zero, you were fat. The one career sister is like, I'm fat and terrible size six. And <laughs> she's like, like, I just splurge all of my money on shoes because like it's the only thing I can feel like I can buy and look beautiful in you know and then like Cameron Diaz starts a like personal shopping service for like elderly people and so they like try on each other's shoes and try to like come together oh man terrible film yeah <laughs> actually terrible you know what it might actually be like low-key good as like an adult or maybe it has like more insightful things to say I don't know because I saw it once yeah and I was like why did we see this (laughs) 
Wait, what did your friend think? Was that up her alley? I don't totally remember what my friend's like reaction was, but I think she, I think she liked that she felt like we were being adults. Like we both yeah. were like very much trying to pretend to be adults. Like I was a child with a very ugly purple polka dot like Target purse with <laughs> nothing in it, you know, trying mm-hmm. to pretend to be an adult. And then there, there was the other movie I was thinking about talking about on this podcast um that I don't believe is available for streaming anywhere which is one of the reasons I didn't choose it but that was like a big queer awakening for me it's called Lost and Delirious and it has just a who's who of Canadian actresses that you're just like (laughs) oh I see them in things because it was like a Canadian maybe made for TV movie starring Misha Barton as your like straight point of view character and then it's like Piper Parabo hot and then Jessica Perret who is most like notable for being Megan Draper on Mad Men and so those two Misha Barton becomes their roommate at like a boarding school and those two are having a secret um love affair and they're like "Ah." it's like literally like the first thing I ever saw about this movie not knowing anything was like early days of YouTube I don't know how I got here but like I clicked on and it was just like their sex scene oh gosh (laughs) and then I would just watch that like over and over as a girl like a little kid and be like yeah I'm straight (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, those were the good days of YouTube when there was just like random sex scenes and like yeah and I feel like a lot of like random like especially for me like lesbian sex scenes were just like up there a lot because either it was guys trying to find them or girls trying to be like wow girls kiss (laughs) yeah I could kiss a friend yeah yeah I'm trying to think of what my queer awakening film was. And the only things that are coming to mind is like Foxfire and also Girl Interrupted. But I don't remember if there's actually any overtly queer things in those movies. It might have just um, been Angelina Jolie was my queer awakening. Yeah. <laughs> just her I know, in general. Yeah. I know I've definitely seen Girl Interrupted. I don't remember there being like like explicit queer stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a scene where she like forcibly kisses somebody just to like, you know, cause a stir. But like it's totally. not... Like, like there, I feel like there's definitely like such a weird sapphic like undertone there, yeah. but it's not one that like is explicit. And I would almost argue that maybe making it explicit would almost cheapen some of the things in the film. Yeah, well, it's definitely not like a healthy situation. So like, no, any, which, yeah, yay. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's that's kind of the fun part of that film, right? Is that like it's all bad. Yeah. I don't know what that other one you were talking about is though. Foxfire. I don't remember enough of it to describe it myself, but it stars Angelina Jolie, Hedy Burress, Jenny Lewis, Jenny Shimizu, and Sarah Rosenberg. So it's just like a you know big group of girls. I just remember them being they're in high school. I just remember them just being like badasses and getting into shenanigans and a lot of emotions. And I don't know if there was anything actually queer in it, but they were all attractive. I watched it in high school. Okay, yeah. From the poster, I'm like, could be, could be like that early 2000s. We actually can't do that right (laughs) undertones undertones other than the movie that we are talking about today tell me one of your favorite movies of all time and why it's your favorite oh no so many (laughs) (laughs) I know so many films I don't know and then it changes every month I guess like one of my more recent favorite films is Dr. Sleep which is funny because I am not the world's biggest fan of The Shining. I just, I'm too young for The Shining, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> like, I respect it a lot. Like, it's visually probably one of the most beautiful horror movies of the 70s and all that. But um, it doesn't work on me like a lot of those old movies don't because I probably saw 10,000 riffs on The Shining and like knew all of the scary parts before I finally saw The Shining and I don't didn't grow up in a world like Stephen King was like cool but he wasn't like hot and like the hot new writer like I just knew that Stephen King was like the horror guy like who's always been around instead of being like fresh and exciting and new but Dr. Sleep is the sequel to it that takes place like 30 years later and everything about it sounds like really grown into scene and like (laughs) oh who would want to watch this movie on paper like at least if you just don't really explain much about it at all and it is so good and it works so well 
And I'm mad I didn't see it in theaters like in the short time it was in theaters right before the pandemic happened. I don't know, like early into like the first lockdown and everyone being really frightened and not knowing what was happening. I had like heard that Dr. Sleep was good. And so I was like, okay, whatever. I'll like throw this on. And I watched it. And it was like one of those things that I don't do a lot as an adult anymore. But like, I think I like either immediately watched it right after I watched it or I like I waited until the next night and watched it again. Wow. Yeah. And it's so well done. I love it so much. And then like, I pestered my dad who I was living with. And I was like, no, you should like really watch this. It's like, (laughs) there's something like, it's, it's more than just me, like being excited about a movie. Like this one's actually really good. Yeah. Well, what about it resonates with you? I mean, like people hate the term elevated horror or whatever. I love that term. Sorry. There (laughs) is like a lot of different, like horror is a genre but it's a whole different like spectrum of different things and to me elevated horror is just like ones where I feel like people actually really care (laughs) and aren't doing like it's not horror for like the love of the sport it's like horror that like feels more based in things maybe we should not put that in people love to scream about (laughs) elevated horror and I just don't care yeah I love it no I'm gonna leave it in as long as you're okay with me leaving it in (laughs) yeah so anyways I don't even know if I would call it an elevated horror either though but basically like what I think works about the movie is that it is so much about like both trying to build an adulthood out of a childhood that was kind of horrific (laughs) and trying to like be a better person it's also about the need to like connect out and reach to help people that you like know that you're like the only one who can help them even if they're kind of strangers it's also just like legitimately very good Rebecca Ferguson plays a character named Rosie the Hat which is top 10 dumbest names of a character of all time (laughs) And you don't even notice because she's so perfectly calibrated in that film and so terrifying that you are just like, fuck yeah, this is like one of the best performances I've ever seen. It's fun. It's exciting. It's not structured the way a lot of Hollywood movies are structured, like to the Save the Cat book. It starts off kind of like slow and like builds, but like all of the building blocks pay off in the end, which is something that I love. Like it's, it's just so good. And I've shown it to like multiple people. So like when my dad eventually watched it months later, we watched it and I remember like our dogs barked or something. We had to go let them out. My dad just like paused it, turned to me and was like, this is heavy. And like grabbed another drink before we started. And then like, I came home from work the next night and he was watching it again. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then, yeah. And then I like, eventually I showed it to my sister again, like months later. And she, I don't know that she had even seen, like, I think she's seen like at least parts of the shiny so I had to explain like yeah Ian McGregor is Danny the little boy from the shiny she's like that makes a lot of sense now that I know <laughs> you know but like she even like not knowing all of that she loved it and then like so we watched it and I swear to god the next night she showed it to her boyfriend at the time damn <laughs> so wow. yeah it's like a movie that like I feel like no one saw everyone should and then like every time I show it to somebody like they instantly have to show it to somebody else um <laughs> it's kind of yeah. starting to sound like the ring like the actual VHS tape <laughs> in the ring <laughs> yes I'm basically the ringing this movie into popularity <laughs> I think I I was listening to another podcast you are good where they talked about it I think that was the one and they described the shining as like a movie about like trying to get sober but then Dr. Sleep is a is a movie that's about actually putting in and doing the hard work Ooh, yeah and I totally agree they like really go together very well in that sense nice yeah yeah good pitch I definitely don't think I ever would have watched it just from like the tagline of it but I'm convinced and I'm going to watch it at some point based on your recommendation yeah. also like little Jacob Tremblay is in the movie and he has some very intense uh like he's not in it a lot but he has like a very intense scene and then according to like IMDb trivia everyone that he was in like the scene with was like so taken by his performance that they were all like scared and freaked out and then he like <laughs> popped like they called cut like at the end of the scene or whatever and then he popped up and was like oh that was like so much fun or whatever and he like went over to his dad and like high-fived him because he scared the whole like crew <laughs> <laughs> nice i love yeah. that yeah this podcast is sponsored by podbean podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast We use Podbean to host Bring Your Own Popcorn. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. 
Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at podbean.com slash extra butter for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Hi, my name is Milk Surface, and I'm one of the hosts of Nymphomercial, a anti-podcast. I'm also the producer of Radio Flom, but I'm just stopping by really quick because your host, Mixtape, wanted to give you a break from listening to her voice for a minute. Coming up next, though, is yet another ad featuring Mixtape's voice for her other podcast. That's right, she's on another one. You should definitely go listen to it, whatever it is. Although I know, I know it's good. Also, listen to Nymphomercial if you know what's good for you. Sorry, Mixtape actually held me at Slingshot Point to say that specifically. But anyways, remember, bring your own popcorn. I'm Aubrey. I'm Dennis. And I'm Johnny. Every other Tuesday, we take an in-depth and humorous look at different comic books. We're talking indie comics. Capes and cows. And everything in between. Graphic Novel Explorers Club is available on all platforms. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends, you nerd. Recording in progress. Okay, today's film that we are talking about, chosen by Paige, is a 2002 sci-fi drama, which is a remake of a 1972 Soviet sci-fi film. The original film was co-written and directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, which is based on a 1961 science fiction novel of the same name by Polish writer Stanislaw Lem. But the one we're looking at was written and directed by Steven Soderbergh, who also acted as the film's cinematographer and editor, although these were credited under pseudonyms. Soderbergh has directed other films such as Out of Sight, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, and Ocean's Eleven, several of which include George Clooney, who is also in this film. The movie that we are talking about is Solaris. Paige, you selected this film Can you please give me a brief summary of your chosen movie in your own words? Yeah, let's see if I'm able to achieve brief. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on. (laughs) There's a lot going on and arguably like almost nothing happens. (laughs) (laughs) It starts off with George Clooney on a cool future Earth where he is a therapist or is it a psychologist? I'm not sure if he's a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but one of those P words. I think he's a psychiatrist. So on Future Earth, he is a psychologist and he is kind of not floating through life, but like whatever that is, like like schlepping through life because he just seems very disconnected and you're not entirely sure why. Right away, it cuts to like a bunch of company men come to him with a message from one of his good friends who is on an exploratory space mission to check out the mysterious planet Solaris. And his friend has like this cryptic message for him where he's basically begging George Clooney to come up and help mediate like what's going on because something's gone wrong and they're not saying what people, they need, they need like a professional mediator or something to go up there and like understand the situation yeah so we get there and there are only two survivors left on the ship and it's jeremy davis and viola davis in a super early role george Clooney arrives there's only two survivors on the ship his friend has committed suicide i believe by the time he got there and he is trying to understand what's going on And no one will explain it to him. And they're basically just like, you're not going to believe us until it happens. So like, be afraid of going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) So helpful. (laughs) Yeah, so helpful. It turns out that there are these apparitions that are, they call them visitors. And it's like people from their life 
I think most of them are dead. If not all of the visitors are like dead people from their memories who keep coming back. And so George Clooney's visitor that appears to him is his wife who had died previously. And as you watch the film, we see a couple flashbacks on Earth of them getting together. And George Clooney's friend, who's the one who sent him up to the spaceship and is already gone from the movie, is like, oh, she's kind of troubled. And George Clooney was like, I'm a psychiatrist, I can handle this. (laughs) You know, what slowly unravels is you see a marriage that was kind of like George Clooney has a lot of regrets about what happened and maybe like his actions and ultimately not necessarily because of him um his wife ends up committing suicide and that's why she's no longer with him and why he feels so disconnected from the world back home and then he sees his visitor who has all of her memories and everything he sees her as a chance at redemption perhaps and also as like a confusing what is going on here and there are no clear answers like opportunity yeah that's kind of the film, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now, uh, have you seen both versions of the film? No, I've oh. only, I've never read the book. I know that there's like another version of it. No interest in um, discovering more about it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I relate so much and I love the Soderbergh ver- version of it so much that I don't care about that other nerd shit. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, that being said, like I have heard a little bit, I think some people who are both big fans of the book and the movie from what I understand, it gets more into kind of like the philosophical, metaphysical, like things about the planet. Cause like the planet is doing all of these weird, strange, magical things that don't really like the movie brings up and then doesn't like it drops partway through the movie because the movie's not about that like the Soderbergh one and I think Mm -hmm. the book and the original movie are and that's not what I care about in the film I care more about like George Clooney and the meditations on like marriage and relationships and love and regret I will say like the more I did some research for this podcast even though I know it's not like a research heavy movie (laughs) and like I think this is the first time where I'm finally just sort of like okay it would be interesting to uh, like watch the other version and like see what it is but like to me in my mind they're like completely divorced different entities that like are inspired by like the same thing but I don't see them as a one-to-one in my mind yeah they're they're quite different a couple things to say on that because what I read was that the author of the original book that they're both based on Stanislaw Lem oh first of all he didn't like either of the movies he hated them both beautiful (laughs) I love that for him. (laughs) Yeah. Soderbergh made this remake because he wanted to make a movie that was more accurate to the book. So this one is actually supposed to be a lot more similar to what the book is. And interesting. that feels accurate to me because I read the first couple chapters of the book and it's like pretty dead on to the 2002 movie. I have also seen the 1972 one and I saw it first and I like <laughs> both of them, but I actually like the 72 one better. And I think the biggest difference to me and you you kind of highlighted it already is that the 2002 one is about like marriage and love and like regrets and complicated human relationships which makes it lean more in the direction of a drama and I think the 1972 one leans more in the direction of sci-fi and it's a little bit more experimental which of course isn't for everyone so they are very different films yeah given I haven't seen the other film like I don't know that either approach is like better or worse I think they're just like truly different yeah I know a lot of people get really up in arms and like angry and like vitriolic when they see a remake of something that they don't like happen online like I mean I feel like that was more like the internet maybe like 10 years ago but like it's still happening you know Um, yeah and I don't give a shit about any of that um for the (laughs) most part like sure when there's a bad remake I don't understand why they remade Point Break because I also (laughs) love the movie Point Break but the remake of Point Break is also so divorced from what like the original Point Break is is that like it's it's like comical and I'm like this is just a different thing and they're using IP to do that that being said like I think that there are remakes that like get inspired by like usually like a book (laughs) first like there I don't know like there are a lot of things that like get remade into different things that can be like they like either take like such a different approach or like just take like bare bones ideas from like something and then like completely create their own thing 
happening. And I am somebody who's like totally fine divorcing those two concepts in my mind, taking in something that was remade into its totally own thing that could stand on its own. And as long as it's good, I'm fine with it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, this is probably one of those situations, except I have no prior knowledge. Like This is just a movie that I have seen <laughs> a bunch. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that I want remakes to be intentional. And I think this one's very intentional. Like Soderbergh had a clear image of what he wanted to tell with this story rather than saying, rather than being like, oh, I just want to literally remake that movie that was already made. Instead, it was like, I want to make my own story out of the same source material. And I think that's totally valid. Yeah, this is, I don't like, I know I like Soderbergh as a director, but I'm not like one of those people who like deep dives and researches super into like any artist that I like am interested in unless like I find out that they're actually interesting yeah and for the most part like what I know about Soderbergh just based off of like general basic knowledge of what's out there is I think he's somebody who like he doesn't do like a lot of like press stuff uh as much as possible like you know he's he's more he's in it for the love of the sport of making movies and I think making movies are sometimes more important to him than the actual movies like you can go kind of back and forth about like some things he just wants to like push the medium or like try this like weird thing and like will make a project to serve like whatever his like fun thing he's doing and some movies are clearly like the movie is a thing for him and I feel like this is one of those for him but this is apparently a movie he like refuses like I know he did like a little bit of press about it when it came out and everything but like I think since then he refuses to talk about this movie like I think it's no but I think it's because it's like very personal to him and I think like some of the things that like about the marriage and stuff I think whether they are taken from his life whatever like it's it's so personal that he's like I don't want to talk to strangers about this which Mm -hmm. I think is like really cool and fascinating actually yeah that is I love yeah and I feel like when you watch this movie you can definitely feel like that there are emotions in this like that do feel like they come from like somebody somewhere you know it's not just like we need a couple to have a fight in this like argument it's like like it doesn't like go through the whole argument but like it plays out the way you think it would and it also plays out how like they both react and like I don't know just like stuff like that which is really interesting yeah I agree so you know you know what your feelings are about the movie now that you've seen it many many times but do you remember how you felt and where you were the first time you watched the movie and what your response was then? This is a movie that I saw parts of before I saw the movie itself. And for a long time, I did not know what this movie was at all. So the very first scene of this movie I had ever seen, when I was like a kid, my dad had like rented it and was watching it out in the living room. My childhood bedroom was like the one closest to the living room. So I could always hear whatever loud things were happening. So I wanted to be like up watching movies because that's what I always would rather be doing with my life. But I remember like walking out of my bedroom and specifically seeing the scene right after the visitor version of George Clooney's wife had just committed suicide by drinking liquid oxygen. Oh man, that's an intense scene to walk in on. Yeah. And I, I don't know exactly how old I was. I was probably pretty young. As we all know, I'm very young and hot and um, (laughs) will never age. And I will never tell you my real age. (laughs) But I just remember, like, I was, like, a little kid, and I already was experiencing, like, clinical depression, and I can't remember if this was, like, before or after, like, the time I had written, like, my first suicide note, but, like, definitely I was a kid experiencing depression, and so I remember, like, watching that and just being, like, you can drink liquid oxygen, that would, like, kill yourself, and dad was, like, not excited to talk to me about this topic. (laughs) As you can imagine, you already have, like, a child that you don't want to admit has severe depression and, like, suicidal ideation and you're just like I see this is becoming a fixation yeah and then also my dad was like you're never gonna encounter liquid oxygen Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) so my first memory of this film was a beautiful woman who was like George Clooney's wife which like already all of this hot who like was really sad and like had just committed suicide by drinking liquid oxygen and I was like this is cool <laughs> sold <laughs> sold just that like heartbreaking image and just like the idea of that was something in my brain for like a long time and I didn't know what the movie was mm-hmm. for years I don't know that if we even had internet access back then so it wasn't like I could just jump on google and be like google like 
girl commits suicide liquid oxygen. <laughs> Eventually I figured out what it was and I remember like sitting down and watching it in like a super depressive state because this is one of my depression movies that I watch whenever I'm just like hollowed out with like depression on the inside and I love to cry to this movie quite a bit mm -hmm. and I don't know it just like hit me right in a good spot having depression and like growing up with like complicated family dynamics like a lot of it is like oh who is ever going to love me with like this soul crushing amount of depression inside of me and this is kind of a movie that's like super romantic in the way that's like George Clooney who like loves his wife who is like so incredibly depressed and also like can't keep her life together and like even after she's passed like he's still so in love with her yeah yeah I don't want to be armchair diagnostic but I feel like she's perhaps supposed to be portrayed as having bipolar disorder oh maybe yeah I I don't know like could could be bipolar for sure could be like a mix of different things like I see like pieces of myself in it to like this day where like having like severe depression is something I have had my entire life and then also like they're one of the things that he throws against her in like a fight when he's like not being kind he talks about like her not being able to hold down a job which to me also could or like switching careers every like three months and I'm like oh that's also like an ADHD thing is to mm. keep switching your job because you're bored of things so like I don't know it could be it could be anything and I think it's kind of nice that they don't really label it and don't get like too into it yeah because like I think like you can map more onto it itself another thing I love about this movie it is also very much like she has some sort of undefined unclear unhappy past um childhood which like leads her to not wanting to have kids which was like something that I also identified with even as a little kid because I was just like oh I have an unhappy childhood and why would I ever have kids and also like how could anyone ever want to marry you like if you don't want to have kids because I just I grew up in the Midwest where everybody was like straight white and Christian and like you got married to have kids. <laughs> oh yeah that makes sense because I relate to that part about when I was a kid I, I was always like I'm never gonna have kids because my mom said it's the worst pain you ever have in your life to to give birth first of all and then you can die during it and so I was like fuck Ooh. that shit but then also the people I knew with kids seemed to be miserable and hate those kids so I was like why would I do that they clearly hate everything about this life but it never yeah. occurred to me that like oh that means no one will love me for that reason I thought for other reasons but it <laughs> never crossed my mind because I think it's not as much of the culture there's a lot of childless people in the in the bay area i think yeah no you know the midwest is kind of different very yeah. much like <laughs> i was definitely surrounded by kids who like or like not kids i was definitely surrounded by a lot of adults who like i think married their second or third like college boyfriend or girlfriend because that's what you did there's still such a culture at least with like gen x people I was who are adults when I was little and stuff were like they very much like married somebody that they were in love with but like maybe they didn't totally know themselves yet or like yeah. they just grew into different people and then they also like started having kids because like you get married you like buy a house you have kids your career is going well and then they like resent it and it's just like yeah but did you like stop and think about this is what you really wanted or like did you get like ultimatumed into like getting married which happened to like people I knew and stuff so I'm just like yeah. I don't know like it's it's very much I would say still for some people especially straight people in the Midwest and the further you get away from like a big city like especially so like it's still so ingrained in so many people and I think is like just a little secret bisexual kid and like little atheist and like I don't know whether crazy things like I just did not fit in and I was like super aware of that and I think like knowing that I wasn't like that kind of like housewife mother type like really I had a lot of anxieties about not being uh loved because I couldn't fit and didn't want to fit into that mold yeah, yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense for why this film resonates because the the female love interest in this movie is not a traditional female love interest like she's 
I would say a more dimensional human being. Like she seems less male written, even though she is written by multiple men, <laughs> the writers of the book and the movies. And um, even in the movie, there's a lot of discussion of like, is this how she really is? Right. Especially with her depression and suicidal ideation when she is fully made from George Clooney's memories. Yeah. So there's a lot of like discussion of, is this like really who I am supposed to be? Or am I just like your weird idealized version of it, like in your head too? So it's a super, yeah, she's like super layered and complicated, but then even more so when you watch the film as it keeps unfolding, being like, oh, like truly what is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting. She, like she has agency and awareness of, of this. It's almost like seeing a manic pixie dream girl in a movie, just suddenly have self-awareness and be like, Hey, what, the, why are you writing me like this? <laughs> because... Yeah. And like before the manic pixie dream girl thing even existed, there were like version, like early versions of it and stuff happening, but like manic pixie dream girl, I don't think was even coined a term until like somewhere between like 2005 to 2007. And the rom-coms that really were like dealing with that trope really weren't coming for like another couple years because this movie came out in what 2002 yes I don't know it's like commenting and like running circles around movies that haven't even come out yet. yeah yeah, yeah. well the t- the term wasn't coined until yeah after this movie came out but I think there there definitely are earlier examples, but oh less yeah, so. there there are other earlier examples, but it wasn't like a trope yet. It was just like here and there you would get maybe more here than and there, but like there was like a growing thing of like men getting to write all of our stories and movies for so long mm-hmm. that like certain men who just like are so full of misogyny. <laughs> yeah whether they know it or not like not being able to write women well (laughs) right definitely existed yeah yeah which is what's so fun about this one because like this is a woman written by men but she's talking about how she's like created by a man it's a really interesting thing to see yeah it's just it's such an interesting and weird layered movie (laughs) and it's also like uh, the other question too is like George Clooney can't seem to move past this marriage that and like the death of death of his wife which is very sad but also like is this a chance at like redemption but is it really or is it like Solaris this weird mysterious planet doing some sort of strange self-defense like mechanism it's true you they can't just live on a ship like with no other people around and like no resources or anything like we don't know if he can even inhabit Solaris there's like hope maybe of redemption but like is there really you know and like is it really something that you can do or is it like trying to live in your kind of like weird internal like fantasy life I don't know it's yeah it's a lot of like interesting questions and it doesn't answer them in a way that isn't like cheap it's like very like intentionally doesn't yeah. yeah, it's one of those films that has a bunch of un- unanswered questions, which I like because it's it's more like real life. It's literally like they plopped you down in this spaceship. And if they <laughs> if you really landed in the spaceship, you wouldn't like instantly be told everything that's happening. You would have to be figuring out as it unfolds. And so it mm-hmm. feels more realistic in that sense. I mean, we've mostly talked about George Clooney's character at this point because he is the main character of his film but like Viola Davis has like a small part as one of the original like scientists who was going there she's sent on this exploratory mission before the film starts with like the original crew to like see if there's any like profitability in like going to Solaris if there's anything that would be like could make the corporation doing this like money you know which is really interesting but she's like such a science person that like when all of this stuff starts happening she is so shaken to her core and she is like so afraid and like one of her biggest fears is that like whatever is happening and whatever forces are like behind it are smarter than her and they can outthink her at every moment and she's just like she literally at one point is like if I can figure out how to kill it like I can be smarter than it like I can conquer it which is like an idea that is like brought up a little bit here and there and used for some plot device but like it's it's a thing there that like the movie's not extremely interested in like examining but it is like another really interesting and like 
cool way to like think about how weird the whole situation is (laughs) in that vein of like the intelligence and power of this alien entity one of the unanswered questions in the film that i had i'll see what you think do you think that jeremy davis davies character snow was he the visitor like did he yeah it's they like have a conversation about it and I again I've seen this movie so many times it doesn't seem like there's a lot of rhyme and reason or like the the rhyme and reason to like how or what the visitors are and like who or what chooses to like pull out of people's minds like we never get an explanation for it and so he he's doing the prestige (laughs) and by that I mean he pops up into existence as a copy of the original snow who's on the thing Mm. um on the ship and then they kind of like instantly go into like a battle of like survival because the original show snow is like holy shit this is like an alien doppelganger what's going on and tries to kill him and then the new baby like visitor snow pops into his existence and his first moments are like having to kill himself (laughs) like another version of himself to stay alive which again is the great turn in the movie the prestige before the prestige came gotcha. out. And gotcha. just to clarify, just to clarify, everything that Paige is saying doesn't is not portrayed in the movie. This is no. all you have to extrapolate this. Yeah, it's all it's all done in conversations. And I am so wistful and longing for movies about uh, adults just talking in rooms, having conversations. <laughs> I like five stars to any movie that's just adults um sitting in rooms having conversations. <laughs> But I do, I do really miss like adult movies that are about listening and learning and like reacting to people and they're not about superpowers. <laughs> I, I miss when movies were just about fucked up little people in like fucked up little situations. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good tagline. That's the tagline for this movie. Fucked up little people in a fucked up little situation. So um, I feel like, yeah, this, <laughs> this episode is like so much more like depressing and like less like <laughs> this movie is really fun for my childhood. Instead I'm like, yeah, I was like a 45 year old, like chain smoker with depression and like a five year old. <laughs> and here are all the things I was dealing with and tackling and like identifying with. And I was like six. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's real. Like, yeah. Also, this is like as honest as I can be about my childhood. I was so ready to be like a 45 year old, like person with their life together. And like I was eight. <laughs> <Aww>. Yeah. <laughs> This has been great. Our uh, <laughs> final question, not sincere, sorry. Um, yeah, that's no, my <laughs> um, Totally. Our final question here, which we've touched on a bit, but tell me about how this movie changed or had a significant impact on your life. Yeah, I mean, it's probably strange to a lot of people to like hear this, but like as a child who like knew that I had very severe clinical depression, even if no one else would tell me that or like let me go get tested or get help like seeing movies that were about like serious adults with like dealing with like both relationship issues which I was already thinking and worrying about as a child but also just like dealing with like big feelings of depression and like suicide ideation was very comforting to me as a kid because it made me feel like somebody out there like knew what I was feeling but it gave me like a language to talk about what I was like feeling um because I think like when you are one of the few of us blessed to have clinical depression from like an extremely young age they're just like such big overwhelming complex emotions that when you don't know how to talk about them or explain them or like point to somebody in your life who has that it's like very weird seeing a portrayal of a woman that I felt like I had a lot maybe not in common with but like I guess yeah like seeing a portrayal of a woman who had a lot of the quote-unquote drawbacks or just things going on in herself that like I could already see in me as a child seeing that even though her marriage I mean arrested development question do you call it failed if the wife dies (laughs) (laughs) question (laughs) sorry Michael Anyways, seeing a woman in like a marriage with somebody definitely like loves her and wants to take care of and protect her, especially when you didn't feel that growing up from the places you were supposed to was like also really like sweet and inspiring and like gave me something to like hope for. 
especially when so much media was not, it's not about that. And especially not anymore because now everything is just about superheroes and I live in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Everything has to relate back to something. And even as I like recently watched a movie, my brain was like already writing a dumb tweet where I was like, Annette Bening has an easel cinematic universe. And I was just like, I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) What a, what a diatribe. Cut this all out. This whole, this whole, podcast has been a mess no um, it wasn't <laughs> thank you thank you uh, <laughs> I cut that all out <laughs> I will no, so, too, but I love it I'm gonna try to like say some of this just just being able to see a movie where you can see like what you want or like a way that you can see yourself moving through the world when you like aren't exposed to anyone like that in your life yeah. and like you are just like so searching for something whether you know you're searching for it or not and even though I will not say this movie does not give you the answers and I don't think that this movie is like the idealized version of what life should be (laughs) please don't take this movie as like serious like life advice (laughs) it gave me something that like made me just feel more normal and like I feel like a lot of my life is like me trying to relate to people and then like telling a story and then them staring at me like mouth agape like what are you talking about or like that's incredibly unrelatable and like horrifying page mm. and I'm like oh that's Tuesday <laughs> it gives me something you know and yeah. I much like this movie doesn't answer questions I cannot answer this question <laughs> I, re- <laughs> I plead the fifth <laughs> no I think th- I think that was perfect and yeah no this has been wonderful I really appreciate you choosing a movie that's so significant and personal for you and then being so open and sharing all of that with me I really really enjoy talking about this movie with you and hearing all of your thoughts on this movie and movies in general yes thank you I guess we should put like a little warning at the beginning this is the episode about depression and it is depressing <laughs> yeah smiley face um, smiley face oh my god Paige will make a lot of like horrifying <laughs> jokes but it's not like as fun as like when we're laughing about the never-ending story um which was a great episode I've never seen that film I've only seen the second one. Oh wow <laughs> yeah Weird so introduction do you want um people to be able to find you online if any listeners want to find you or you want to keep it under the radar I can be found but not easily <laughs> <laughs> And that's how I want it. Um, if you would like to send me Perfect. money, you can, if you'd like to send me money only, Aubrey can get you in contact with me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you would like to send money to Paige, DM me at Mixed Majesty for her Venmo and please yes. send her money. <laughs> I'm very horny for money at all times. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I do have a Twitter. It is out there. It's Paige's Conscious. I am on other forms of social media. I do not use them. Um, Twitter is my only form, but I also don't really want to be known on Twitter because it's just me making a bunch of really bad jokes and complaining about things that I don't like because thank you. (laughs) All of my opinions are right and correct and no notes. (laughs) Just kidding. I apologize for things like every three seconds. (laughs) No, Paige has a lot of really funny tweets. I follow her, so you should follow her too, unless she doesn't want you to. Just like quietly lurk and appreciate. Yeah, you can follow Follow me, but like if I get more than like 200 listeners, I will think about deleting my Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding, but I do bet everybody who follows me and I do block a lot of creeps who try to follow me or just adult like middle-aged men with bad opinions. Oh, same. Very very wise thing to do on Twitter. So many of them try to follow me, yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for being on the show. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me do my extremely dumb opinions and jokes. No, I love it. (laughs) Thank you.